Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 13, Lesson 8. <coughs> okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته حياكم الله جزاكم الله خير um, Okay, so today's lesson Insha'Allah It's good in that we finally finish from the first kind of actually chapter Insha'Allah that's the intention today that we finish the first chapter um, of the uh, the book of Salah and actually you can say the first section or the first chapter or sub chapter I mean it doesn't really matter what title you give it but anyway this is the first kind of bab and it was about the obligation of the prayer and, and the importance of the prayer and so next week we start the chapter of Adhan and Iqama and it's very interesting of course that as well um, so today what we're doing is a quick uh, uh, super quick recap of what Sheikh Walid taught and I hope that the folks got, a t- got some opportunity to review what he taught uh, four or five weeks ago, whenever it was that he was here. If you remember that he, stud- he taught that section and then we brought it back so that we could teach the rest. Um, and it was very important what he taught. And, um, and I just want to really basically complete that chapter, uh, c- complete that, uh, that section, that paragraph. So where are we, Shaz, with the text? What, what's the actual text? Just show me the screen or something. Um, so this is the final paragraph with respect to uh, the Arabic um, So uh, tahawuna so, the translation, whoever denies the obligation of the prayer or doesn't pray out of laziness has committed disbelief. The imam or his substitute should call him. Yani back to the prayer. But if he persists and the second of two consecutive prayer times is running out, both are still not to be killed until their repentance is sought three times. Okay, so this is obviously a very important paragraph for a number of reasons. Number one, this is the key issue that um, uh, a very well-known one, the one who does not pray, what's his ruling? Okay, obviously the language is very inflammatory as well because it involves death, capital punishment, which is of course illegal um, in most countries around the world. And this is obviously, you know, for all disclaimer purposes, we are teaching classical fiqh. And that has to be said, as you know, because... People get up to mischief and, you know, they just want to cause trouble. Um, the other uh, reason it's important is because it's not um, something which is covered a lot, okay? And so, therefore, people tend to kind of shy away from it um, because it's so kind of controversial. And not only because it's controversial in terms of, obviously, that the word death is being used or killed even actually at the end, but also because people don't want to face the reality, which is that, hundreds and perhaps millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, Muslims do not pray um, uh, properly, uh, full-time as such. And so that's also a concern. No one wants to know what the ruling is of themselves or their neighbors or their parents or their children or whatever. Anyway, 
we're here to academically look at what the Hanabalists say. And um, if you look at the first part, whoever denies the obligation of the prayer or doesn't pray out of laziness has committed disbelief. And these are two completely separate things, two completely separate categories. The first one, Sheikh Walid basically covered. That's what he did, all right? And we spoke about denying, okay, the obligation of the prayer. And Sheikh uh, Walid was making the point that the denying of the obligation is more than just a theoretical thing. The juhud is a rejection of the prayer, not just a denying of the obligation. So much so that if we were to grab someone and say, you need to pray, and he says, I'm not going to pray. I don't want to pray. It is absolutely not something that's required in Islam. That is juhud, rejecting the actual prayer or rejecting the obligatory nature of the prayer. And as Sheikh Walid mentioned, that all of this talk about death and the killing and punishment, whatever, is all about a person being disciplined, being brought in front of a court and then uh, or an authority, and they say to that person, Regardless of whether you don't think it's an obligation or, or you do, the second part, you do think it's an obligation but you're too lazy to pray, at that moment they'll make it clear. What do you say now? What's your situation now? And if the person, for example, was to say, A, it's not an obligation, then that is pure kufr, okay? And he has denied by, by consensus all of the points that we know already and we covered in detail. We're not going to cover that again, okay? And the second one is the one which is difficult, controversial, Something which there was a difference of opinion over, and something which we're going to cover uh, quickly today. Sheikh Wadi did touch upon it, but we're going to cover it, inshallah, uh, today. And that is the one who does it or leaves it tahawunan, out of laziness, okay? Out of laziness, which is the majority of people that we kind of come across when it comes to like standard packs, you know, standard Joe, Joe, Joe Pack Muslim kind of thing. Then that's their kind of situation. So, um, so. Uh, just for a couple of notes for you to write down, which I was just making some of my own notes. Um, even when we come to talking about rejecting the obligation, we're saying that um, if there is agreement upon that obligation in the prayer, so for example, uh, when we say the obligation of the prayer, what we mean by that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated the prayer upon Muslims. If you deny that, it's kufar. Then you're in big trouble. Okay? Uh, this, uh, by the same extension, if you were to den deny any of the obligations in the prayer, it will be the same ruling. So for example, the obligation, um, when I say obligation, by that I mean a pillar of the prayer. Okay, an important aspect of the prayer. And we're going to be covering this in a, in a few coming, in the upcoming months. So when we say about a, 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 a pillar, we're talking about something so important, so essential, that it is... It is, you know, it really is a requisite of the prayer itself. It's an integral. That's what they call a rukan, an integral of the prayer. What's an example of an integral or rukan of the prayer? Intentions. The in, in, intention is different because that's before the prayer. Uh, to stand up, okay, to stand up in, in the prayer. To recite Surah Al-Fatiha, for example, according to the majority, etc. Now, this here's an important point. The condition here is that everyone has to agree upon it. If there is a rukan which the scholars differ over, then of course it cannot be uh, considered kafir for rejecting it, okay? Or for saying that I don't believe that this is an obligation. If there is a difference of opinion upon it. So, for example, um, the Hanafi school compared to the other three schools, there are a number of differences when it comes to the arkan of the prayer. So the Ahnaf, 
the Hanafi school, they generally have around six, uh, yani depending upon what, what, what position, they have six arkan of the prayer, six key rukans of the prayer. Whereas the majority of the scholars, they consider to have 14 arkan of the prayer. Again, we're going to be covering all these in detail. So this has to be a rukun, of course, which the scholars all agree upon. And if they do agree upon and you reject it, then this is a act of kufr. The second point here, uh, a second caveat that you need to remember, is that when we're talking about rejecting the obligation of the prayer, this is all relative to the person as well. So if this person is new to the religion, if this person is someone who is someone who's just started practicing or someone who's new Muslim or whatever, then this is of course going to be relative to what he knows. If he doesn't know something about the prayer, you cannot consider him to be a non-Muslim for not knowing it or not believing it or rejecting it, etc. Um, he must be given time to understand and it must be explained to him. It must be a tabayyun, yeah, and you must absolutely clarify the point to the person. Okay, so that's the yeah, some, uh, some 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 uh, notes, if you like, or some points for the first part. As for and likewise then the person who leaves the prayer out of laziness and what's interesting um, here is um, a couple of points the first point is that there seems to be a a, a statement here with the Hanbali in the text which is a strange one okay and it's something which is unique to the madhab of the Hanabila and actually a number of the companions of Imam Ahmed, meaning Imams of the Madhab, they differed. Okay? And they said it's not a condition that the Imam or his deputy needs to call him. Okay? In the Arabic, imamun aw naibuhu. Yani this Imam or the deputy calls him uh, uh, back to the prayer. What does this mean? What's this referring to? It's referring to the authority in the land that's basically grabbing this guy and saying to him that um, you know, what are you doing? You know, do you realize what's happening here? And, uh, you know, fix up and uh, sort yourself out and get back to the prayer. Which is obviously a nice thing, isn't it? Because if someone was to do that, okay, then a person is clearly being given more chance, aren't they? Okay, they're being given more chance. But at the same time, it's another step. Um, and the correct position, and Sheikh Uthameen here mentions, is that there's no evidence for this condition. And there is no requirement for an imam to have to go and call them back to the prayer and so on and so forth. Meaning the ruling of, on, on this person is based upon him regardless of someone calls him or not. As long as he knows. If a person knows, is sane, is old enough, understands the ruling, doesn't pray out of laziness, it does not require as a further condition for there to be some kind of panel or examination, whatever, for a, a ruling of kufr to be applied to that person. He might even apply it to himself, meaning that a person might look at himself and say, goodness me, I fall into kufr here, or I'm, I'm on the edge, or even I am a kafir by the actions that I'm doing. It doesn't require this extra step. We are not talking about punishment here, you see? That's, that's the come. All right, punishment is a separate thing. So the Hanabila, what they mention here, is almost like there, there, there needs to be the presence of some kind of like a clarificatory body, and that, to be honest, frankly, is not the case. It's not the case. The next point which we need to discuss is um, how is a person considered to be a disbeliever? How is a person falling into kufr with the rejection of a single prayer? Yani, is it if you do not pray one prayer out of laziness, then you are gone? Yani, is that, is that what it means? Or is it the prayer completely? 
Well, you see in the text that there is again a, uh, a, a caveat which is given. Yani number one, فَأَصَرَّ وَدَاقُ وَقْتُ الثَّانِيَةُ عَنْهَا That, number one, that either the imam has to clarify with them first, because then otherwise we can't punish. That's not true. If you've done the crime, you've done the crime. We don't need yani, a person to confirm it. It's like you stole something. You know you stole it. They know you stole it. Everyone knows you stole it. You don't need, you don't need an imam unless you're punishing to determine that the, uh, 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 the, the, the action was a stealing as such. So that's, that, that's, that's, we already mentioned that's one caveat. The second caveat is that the time of the second time of the prayer is not running out. What does that mean? We said before that it's permissible to combine prayers, isn't it? Yes? And we also said that it's possible that a person can understand at a stretch, at a stretch, that even though we have five prayer times, there are actually three. Remember we spoke about, did we talk about this? Okay? When I say there's three prayer times, I mean there are three kind of periods. So you have the morning Fajr period, which is the shortest, and that's from Fajr, dawn, until sunrise. And that's all it is. An hour and a half odd, that's it. Then you have the second period of time, which is from Zuhr until Maghrib. Now this Zuhr until Maghrib prayer is the prayer time for when Zuhr and Asr are prayed individually, of course, at each end. However, if there's a reason, they can be combined. And so because only these two can be combined in that region, it's not called a general kind of period of time. There's a, there's a, I don't want to say there's a relaxation, but there's a certain kind of laxity or flexibility in terms of the delay of the prayer or the, or the bringing forward of the second prayer in this time period. And then likewise, the third prayer is going to be from Maghrib until either midnight or until the morning. And that is a, a, a period of time which is covering the Maghrib and the Isha. So the, the importance of this is that we are no way going to bring the statement of Kufr upon someone who, is, who has not prayed a prayer like the Dhuhr, whilst Asr time is still left, because there's a general prayer time for it. Does that make sense? Okay. And likewise, if there is Maghrib, okay, then the Maghrib prayer, we're not going to call Kufr upon a person who has not prayed it until the end of Isha. Because... That person might have made the intention for some reason that we don't know and he's combining with the Isha and then going to pray it later, etc, etc. So these kind of prayer times generally cover that scenario. And what, that's what Hanbali said. What do we say? We'll say that, look, you know what? That's a fair enough point. And it's a moot point, to be honest, because if a person is allowed to combine prayers or something like that, and that's like saying if a person's in war, like we said last week, and he prays all prayers, five, time, five of them all in one go, because the war is too you know, difficult or whatever, we're not going to make kufr upon that person either. So these caveats are obviously always going to be there, these exceptions. But in principle, what is it about? So is it about a person who misses the prayer or two, or is it about a person who misses all the prayer? That's the big question. Um, the correct position, and Allah knows best, is that the one who misses a odd prayer here and there, he is, has not fallen into kufr. Okay? The hadith is not referring to him. The text is not referring to him. The ruling is not referring to him. This is a person who falls into sin. Rather, the one who falls into kufr, the one who falls into disbelief, is the one who abandons the prayer entirely. Man taraka as-salah. The prayer. You know the alif lam, al, okay, as-salah, it is the definitive. It makes the entire genre of the prayer, the entirety of the prayer. For example, if the hadith said, Man salatan, okay, faqad kafar, right? Whoever leaves a prayer 
then they have disbelief. Then it will be clear. Anyone who is lazy with one prayer, he's in big trouble. But the hadith is, man taraka as-sala, whoever abandons the prayer, then they have disbelief. So we're talking about the prayer removal, wholesale basically. Okay? So for example, if in Kana so for example, he prayed one or two fard in the day, we would not consider this person to be a kafir. Because this person, it is not yani, considered that he left the prayer. This is what Shaykh Uthameen said. And he said that the Prophet ﷺ said, That between a man and between a person and between shirk and kufr is the abandonment of the prayer. That's the hadith, very famous hadith narrated by Muslim. Between a person and shirk and kufr. So here's a person, and this is shirk and kufr on the other side. We need a barrier. What is that barrier? It is tarkus salah. Okay, meaning that a person, uh, if they leave the prayer, then there's nothing left. Then you're just basically gonna uh, you're gonna merge with kufr and shirk. Whereas if you have the prayer, then you've got that barrier. So it is what tark as-salah, the abandonment, the abandonment of the prayer. He did not say, as Sheikh Uthameen said, uh, tark as-salah. And also, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that man tark as-salatan matubatan. Sorry. Uh, as for the hadith that says, Man taraka salatan maktubatan muta'amidan faqad bari'at minhu dhimma. And as for the narration where it was said that the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever leaves one obligatory prayer intentionally, then he has lost his protection. Whoever leaves a single obligatory prayer intentionally, then he has lost his protection. Then this was narrated by Imam al-Bukhari in Al-Adab al-Mufrad. Okay? And by Ibn Majah as well. And by Imam al-Bayhaqi. And it is on the authority of Abu Adarda. And it is considered to be a weak hadith. Ibn Hajar said that there is weakness in its chain. There is weakness in its chain. That's a significant point, of course, because if this hadith was authentic, it would cause us a problem. Because the Prophet ﷺ here very, says very clearly, whoever leaves a single prayer, then they have lost protection. What does that mean? It's a very famous phrase, okay? You know the dhimma, dhimma. You know that the word dhimmi, alright? The idea is protection. Dhimma means protection. This protection basically is protection from the adab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every person who prays and fulfills the five pillars of Islam is protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, their blood is protected, their iman is protected, they go to Jannah. That's it, okay? That's, the, that's basically the game. They might do sins, they might have to pay for their sins, but their iman is protected and they will go to Jannah. They are Muslim. However, when you hear the phrase, Qad bari'at min huwa dhimma, he has, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of him and he is innocent from him and the uh, protection is gone, it basically means the person has, 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 has voided such a huge pillar of his identity that he now has no actual uh, uh, protection left, no dhimma left. Um, this hadith is da'if. And therefore, we do not consider this person to be in a uh, state of uh, kufr if he leaves a single <coughs> prayer. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. How important is intention here? So you've got two people. One who doesn't pray at all just because he's just lazy. So I'll tell you something. Um, uh, just to hold you, hold, hold you there. This will become clearer once we go through the um, the various conditions, inshallah. Okay. Uh, just, just wait. Just wait. Let's, let's get a few, a few uh, uh, points done. And then we'll get uh, to the uh, uh, point. Um, okay. 
And you know there's a point that we should make here, and I think it is relevant in the current climate. You ain't no Muslim, bruv. What did he say that, the Lavanda? You ain't no Muslim, bruv. Yeah. I mean, what an idiot. I mean, you know, you know, seriously, I mean, you know, at every level, that's just stupidity, okay? Um, because, number one, who, yeah, you know, he, he shouldn't, first of all, uh, obviously a person's making statements for the sake of camera recording for PR purposes to come across as good citizen, blah, 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 blah. I understand the political pressure to do that, but don't make stupid statements which involve takfir. I mean, whether he realizes it or not, joke or not, whether he even understands what he's done, what he has done is to consider another person non-Muslim, okay? And of course, and that's what, this is relevant to this point here, um, you know Islam, you know when someone says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad rasulullah, they don't just enter into Islam, they become firmly settled into the religion, okay? Their status quo becomes Muslim. Now, when a person's status quo is Muslim, okay, it's a very, it's like, it's like a 100 ton building has settled in place, okay? And you know what? You know, sins and this and that is like breaking windows and things. It's like burning floors. It's not removing the foundation. And when you throw takfir, kufr upon a person, you'd better be sure that the entire building has been uprooted and it's been, you know, thrown over, completely out of the ground, completely. Because whatever has been established by yaqeen needs to be removed by yaqeen. It's not possible to bring doubt into a matter, okay, when a person's deen is... Is when we talk about a person's deen, the asal, as we say, the status quo of, of a person is that they are firmly established in the religion. And that is why it requires firm, established, clear proof to kick them out. The reason Sheikh Uthameen mentions this here is that, you know, when you have a person who is Muslim, then he misses a prayer or two, whatever. When you look at that person and the action of missing a prayer or two, however important the prayer is, does that feel to you like... This is a person who has abandoned the prayer. Okay? That's the question you ask yourself. If a person is still holding on to the prayer, has he abandoned the prayer? Because only the one who abandons the prayer in its entirety, that's the one who has done kufr. And so we want to be absolutely certain if we're going to remove someone from the religion. It's a very, very serious matter. And I'll tell you guys now, and I'll tell you again in the future, and I tell my, all of my students every time this is one of the most important lessons that was impressed upon us as well, as our sheikh told us so, so many times, the most difficult single thing, the single most difficult thing to do in this religion is to remove someone from it after they have entered into it. Okay? The single most difficult thing ever, 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 to do in, in this entire religion, from its aqidah, its fiqh, its adab, its law, from any aspect of this religion, the single most difficult thing that you can ever do is to remove a Muslim from this religion after he or she has willingly entered into it. Okay? Never forget this point. Never, ever forget this point. Do what you want, say what you want, but do not yani, take a risk with removing someone from the religion. And that's why it's important for this particular part here that we are clear about what the person is when he's abandoning the prayer. That's why we rule with the. the that's why we, we rule. That it's not about a single prayer or two prayers. It's about the whole prayer. Um, and just as I said, bringing it back to um, current affairs, this this guy obviously he recorded the video. He's seen this guy go nuts, and you know, 
uh, stabbing, trying to stab people, and he's even said this is for Syria or whatever. But looks Muslim, he was Somali in appearance, not difficult to put two two together and assume he's Muslim. So we get that. So when you see a Muslim yani, making a, uh, uh, doing a crime like that, I understand that if you just recorded it and you know that you've just been in a one in a million situation, that your, your video is definitely going to go viral, to add an, a nice kind of clever kind of statement to it, to, to, to help free the Muslims, there's going to be great political capital from it and so on. But this religion and this aqidah is more valuable than that. And we don't want to spread this kind of idea, all right? Spread this kind of idea. We know how politically sensitive it is. We know how many people got into trouble for saying that Osama bin Laden is a Muslim and he should be buried, whatever, whatever despite his crimes, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 because the government doesn't want to hear that, the, the public don't want to hear that, they don't want to hear this idea, they love this idea of hearing, he ain't a Muslim, you aren't a Muslim, etc, etc. Now, all of these statements, okay, are irrelevant. It should not be getting, we should not be getting involved into it, and we only do because of the political pressure. It's impermissible to be making a statement of takfir, unless you know for certain this person has lost a religion, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that whoever brings kufr upon another person, then one of them definitely is kafir. That's it. Whoever brings the, the statement of kufr, manda'a, the one who claims kufr upon another person, one of them is definitely kafir. Either that person definitely is, and if they're not, then it has to fall upon someone else. Meaning it's like then the game is started and it has to fall upon someone. Yeah? And so you better hope that that person genuinely is and that you're ready to defend that call and you're ready to see the proofs because if it's not that person, it comes upon you. And so that's something very, very serious. So even in jest, even for political purposes, it shouldn't have been said. All right? Secondly, it then turned out, I mean, he wasn't to know that. I'm just making an excuse, but he was mentally disabled. Okay? I mean, fully mentally disabled. He was on drugs. He was on under supervision. His, his family wanted him sectioned, etc., etc. So he's not accountable for his actions anyway. Neither in the law, neither in Sharia. So nothing like that should have been said to him anyway. But, you know, it's just a, it's just a point. Okay, so... Um, what are we going to say uh, now? The position of Imam Ahmed in this issue is very clear. He said that any person who doesn't pray out of laziness is a non-Muslim. Okay? Is a kafir. Any person who does not pray out of laziness, uh, then he is a non-Muslim. And we covered the evidences for this. In a very quick summary, uh, the first is from the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِنْتَابُوا وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينَ Allah says in Surah At-Tawbah verse 11, But if they repent and they establish the prayer and they give the zakah, then they become your brothers in religion. By definition, if they don't pray, then what are they? They're not your brothers in religion. That's what the ayah clearly indicates. The second um, evidence uh, again, I'm just going through this quickly because Sheikh Walid covered this. this the, from the Sunnah, for example, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said the hadith which was narrated by Imam Muslim, between a person and between, between a person uh, and uh, shirk and kufr is the abandoning of the prayer. And in the other hadith, the famous one, Al the hadith which is narrated by Imam Ahmed, and it is an authentic hadith that the Prophet said that the contract between us and them, the, the covenant between us and them, is the prayer. The, yani, the covenant between us and them is the prayer. For men, yani, this is an indication of like what, what the condition is of a believer. So whoever leaves it, then they have disbelieved. Meaning, the one who leaves the prayer 
that they have disbelieved. Disbelieved. Okay. Um, the third point is the uh, uh, position of the companions, and they are. There are many many statements from them. Sixteen of the companions, such as Umar bin Khattab and so many others. They have stated very, very clearly the kufr of the one who leaves the prayer. Over 16 of the companions. And one of the most famous tabi'een, okay, Abdullah bin Shaqiq, uh, uh, rahimullah, he stated very clearly that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ did not agree on anything as much as they did that the one who leaves the prayer has, has done kufr. Okay? Has committed disbelief. They did not agree upon anything as much as the fact that the one who leaves the prayer has disbelieved. Translated literally, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ did not consider any of the actions if they were to be left out, if they were to be abandoned, that it would be kufr other than the prayer. Which is interesting because that means that for zakat there was some discussion, for hajj there was some discussion, for fasting there was some discussion. But he's saying that from the actions, when it comes to the physical actions in the, in the, in the, in the deen, if anything was to be left out, they never considered it to be kufr except for the prayer. That's the one thing that they uh, 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 agreed upon. And Ishaq ibn Rahway, Imam Ishaq ibn Rahway, he said that uh, that. Uh, is an ijma'a is a consensus of the companions and that there is no doubt that the consensus has continued from the early day of the companions that the one who leaves the prayer then he is a disbeliever okay and finally Shaykh Uthameen mentioned the fourth kind of evidence if you like and that is that from the from the aql from the aql okay another so this is like a good way of building from Quran, Sunnah, statements of the companions and scholars, and then any you know Joe blogs. Just think about it for five seconds, okay? Yani, which person yani, who has got half yani, a mustard seed of iman would know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the prayer, praises the prayer, establishes the prayer, makes it so important, reveals it in a certain way to the Prophet in that certain fashion, at a certain time, emphasizes, 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 and then and then the action of all the believers and their consistency upon it, and he says, I'm not going to pray. And he says that I'm too tired to pray. And he continues to abandon the prayer. What kind of Muslim is this Aslan? What kind of Muslim would this be? Now that, of course, is a logical argument, not a legal one. And, it's, you know, and that's why it's not put forward as the first kind of base. But when you're trying to perfect an argument, of course, it can be used at the, at the end to, to, you know, to, to, um, uh, you know to, to just clarify a point. And then what Sheikh uh, uh, Walid also mentioned very uh, uh, importantly, okay, is that we are talking about a person who does not, uh, uh, pr- uh, there are different, let's not conflate things. There's a person who refuses to pray, right? That's who we're talking about. And there's also another person um, who uh, falls into the first category of rejecting the obligation of the prayer. That's the person who prays, but then says it's not obligatory for me to pray, but I am praying. Or I will pray, but it's not obligatory for me to pray. This is also clear kufar, because that is yani, uh, uh, a complete rejection of the obligation. Okay, It's a rejection of the obligation. Alright, so that's clear. What I wanted to uh, cover a bit more 
is that um, what about those that said it's not kufr? What about those that said that it's just a major sin? And what are their basically yani, evidences and so on? What are they saying? So frankly, to be honest, it's very difficult to go up against what has been said. The Quran and Sunnah are very, very clear and of course the consensus of the companions and you're always going to be on a hiding to nothing trying to go up against his opinion, okay? But there were a number of evidences put forward that tried to kind of, you know, find some nuance in the whole issue. So let's have a look at that. What Sheikh Uthameen uh, uh, does is that he categorizes all of the evidences, all right? He goes, all of the evidences that are put up by the other side in order to try and say that the uh, salat, that leaving the prayer, not praying. And remember what I said. When I say not praying, I mean that they might pray once a day and not bother with the rest. Or they might not pray like, uh, you know, um, uh, for weeks, for example, then they pray the Ujjumah, that kind of thing. You know, we've never been given the exact number of how many prayers have been left or not. It's an attitude. Yes, it's an attitude. It's an ethos. If this person does not consider the prayer to be something from Islam, we can tell. So that's what we're talking about. So the question is now, um, the other side are saying that no, this is not uh, kufr. And what would they be putting as forward as their evidences? The first group of evidences would be considered, um, as Sheikh Uthameen describes them, evidences which are not even evidences at all. Okay? They have no basis whatsoever. Alright, they have no basis whatsoever. So he goes, for example, from the first example of this first genre, that there's no actual evidence in the evidence at all. In evidence being presented, there is no evidence for this issue that we're covering. So for example, one of the very famous uh, uh, kind of responses to this is the uh, ayah of, of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nisa, Verse 148, That indeed Allah does not forgive anyone who associates with him, but he forgives any, uh, anything other than that to whoever he wills. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forgive someone who associates something with him, but he forgives anything other than that to anyone else. Okay, other than that, all right, I'm translating it as the working translation. So the idea here being that as long as you don't do shirk, shirk, every other act is forgiven. And if every other act is forgiven, then that must include yani, not praying as well. That's the argument. Do you get it? Yeah? Do you understand? If they're saying that the only act which is not forgiven is shirk and everything else is forgiven, then you know, khalas, we're okay. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he wants to, liman yasha, and he will forgive whoever he wants for whatever else they do, then this is under the mashia of Allah, the hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might forgive that person for not praying. So, Shaykh says, This is, this is, um, Uh, what Sheikh Uthameen is saying is that this, this statement is referring to those items which is not other than that, but less than that. Okay? Not other than that, but less than that. So, if I was to translate, it's all about the translation, yes? If I say, in Allah la yaghfiru, let's take it like bit by bit. Indeed, Allah la yaghfiru will not forgive and yushraka bihi. Uh, 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 he 
who associates partners with him, وَيَغْفِرُ But he does forgive, or and he will forgive, or he forgives, مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ Okay, right? لِمَنْ Duna here means less than, but it could also mean other than, okay? To whoever he decides to forgive, to whoever he wills. If you translate it as other than that, we have a problem. If you translate it as less than that, then we don't have a problem. Then that makes sense. So for example, someone steals. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he wishes, then he will forgive. If he doesn't wish, he will punish. Someone hits, fights, X, Y, Z, other than whatever. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive. These are sins which are less than uh, shirk itself. But those which are on the same level of shirk, they will also not be forgiven. So Shaykh gives an example. He gives an example of someone who denies that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. So he said that, for example, uh, Okay, so he goes that, for example, if someone... If someone reads what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, yeah, or, or, or hadith in Sahih Bukhari, for example, authentic, very, very clear, and he reads it, and he says, the Prophet didn't say that. that. He can't mean that. Or Allah did not say that. Or he can't mean that. Well, this is not shirk, is it? Okay? Shirk is taking something other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? You could argue it's like, you know, it's a form of shirk, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is that this is another act which is in of itself kufr. <coughs> what Shaykh Uthameen wants to try and say is if there is an act which is kufr then it's the same level of shirk and it will not be forgiven that is the point that he's trying to make and he's saying that therefore this evidence has been used in the wrong place this ayah does not apply here at all it only applies to sins which are less than kufr itself and we are saying that the prayer is kufr itself so there's no uh, discussion here it's an interesting point okay and certainly a, 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 an evidence which has been used before the second category of evidence is the second category of evidences are those evidences which are general, okay, which are general, but they are specified by our by the hadith which condemned the one who abandons the prayer. So the evidences themselves are general, but then when we talk about the hadith, then they are specific, and therefore the general can never obviously overcome the specific. That's a basic principle in Surah Al-Fiqh, yes? That the general can never overcome the specific. For example, okay? And this is in Arabic, it's called عَامٌ مَخْصُوصٌ بِالْأَحَدِيثَ الدَّالَّةِ عَلَىٰ كُفْرِ تَحَرِكِ الصَّلَةِ مثل قوله صلى الله عليه وسلم في حديث معاذ بن جبل The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, for example, مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدٌ هُوَ رَسُولُ the Prophet ﷺ said that there is no one who, there is no one, there is no slave who bears witness that there is nothing worthy of, of uh, except uh, worthy of worship except Allah, and that Muhammad is his servant and messenger, except that Allah would prohibit the fire for him. Okay, does that make sense? Basically, like all of the hadith that you know, the one's person whose last statement is La ilaha illallah will enter paradise. The one who dies upon shahada will be uh, uh, in paradise. This one here, the one who bears you know, witness that Allah is nothing worth worship except Allah and the Messenger of Allah is his Abdul Rasul, then Allah will make the fire haram upon him. That's what's called a general statement. So for example, if this person wants to go and do kufr, it doesn't mean he's, gonna, he's exempt, is it? And if he, he basically breaks that, that, that he, will, he will break the conditions of the, of the hadith. Does that make sense? Yes? So if he, does, if he now goes and doesn't pray, 
well, he's actually gone and broken the conditions and still acted and so entered into kufr. This hadith does not mean that once you bear witness that there's nothing where they worship except Allah and the Muhammad is Abdul Rasul, then now you can do anything. Is that what it means? Of course not. Does it mean that you can now do kufr? Does it mean you can now swear at, uh, uh, at the believers or curse the Quran or curse the Prophet or leave the prayer? Of course not. It means that in a, in a general sense. As long as you, you can put in the brackets at the end of this hadith, as long as he does not negate any of this, as long as he does not negate any of the principles of Islam, this is the most easiest to understand as a prince, uh, as a hadith to be, as, a, as as an evidence to be refuted. The third category is amun muqayyidun bima la yumkin ma'ahu tarq salat. I I describe this third category as general hadith which are restricted by a state which isn't possible by one who leaves the prayer. I'll repeat that again. The third category are general hadith which are restricted by a state which isn't possible by the one who leaves the prayer. For example, for example, the hadith of Mu'adh, again, مَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صِدْقًا مِنْ قَلْبِهِ and also another hadith of Ithban ibn Malik. Two very authentic hadith. The first one, Mu'adh. There is not any single person who declares that Allah, there's nothing worthy of worship, worship except Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, sincerely from his heart, except that Allah will make the fire prohibited for him. And in hadith of Ithban, indeed Allah has prohibited the fire, has prohibited upon the fire, anyone who says, La ilaha illallah, wanting by that nothing but the face of Allah, meaning doing it only for the sake of Allah. Allah has prohibited upon the fire this person, whoever says it. Okay? So, this is slightly different to the second category, because in these hadith, there's a condition. Yes? In both hadith is a condition. The first one is that whoever does it yani, out, of, out of insincerity in his heart. And the other one says the one who is sincerely seeking the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our response to this is that that's not possible for the one who doesn't pray. It's not possible for the one who says, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, sincerely from his heart to not pray. That state is not possible. It's not possible for a person who wants to seek the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and he doesn't pray. It's not possible. So again, we describe this category as general ahadith which are restricted by a state which isn't possible by one who abandons the prayer. So this hadith has a condition. That state is that you are sincere to Allah. It's impossible to be sincere to Allah if you abandon the prayer. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. That's the third category of evidences. The fourth category is interesting. Um, Restricted states in which it might be possible or might be impossible, uh, sorry, it might be possible to excuse the one who abandons the prayer. Okay? So the fourth category are, the fourth category is restricted states, restricted situations, where it's possible that the one could actually abandon the prayer. Okay? Excuse the one who abandons the prayer. Um, this is very interesting, and it's a hadith which I want to narrate to you. Okay, I'm going to read it out so that you uh, get a feel for it. All right, um, this is a hadith which has been narrated by uh, Ibn Majah, um, 
It's been rated by Ibn Majah in the book of Fitan, okay, in the chapter of the, uh, the vanishing of the Quran and knowledge. The vanishing of the Quran and knowledge. Imam al-Hakim said this hadith is authentic according to the conditions of Muslim, but he did not uh, narrate it. Imam al-Dhahabi said this hadith is upon the conditions of Muslim. Ibn Hajar said it has a strong isnad. And al-Busiri, he said that its isnad is authentic and its men are trustworthy. So inshallah, this hadith is authentic. And Nabi Sallallahu uh, 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 this is the hadith of Hudayfa, very famous one. Hudayfa ibn, ibn Yaman, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that the Prophet Sallallahu said, يَدْرُسُ الْإِسْلَامُ كَمَا يَدْرُسُ وَشُّ That um, Islam will wear out like clothes wear out. Okay? Islam will eventually wear out like clothes will wear out or become worn out. Yeah? Like clothes become worn out. Until there will be no one who knows about fasting, prayer, charity, rituals, etc. They will not know what they are. They will not know about, as I said, fasting, prayer, or charity, or what rituals are. The Quran will disappear in one night, and no ayah will be left on the earth. No ayah will be left on the earth. Okay? Um... And there will be some old people that will be, uh, uh, there will be some, وَتَبْقَى طَوَاعِفُ مِنَ النَّاسِ And there will be a few groups of people that will be left behind. الشيخ الكبير والعجوز An old man and woman. Uh, and they will say, أَدْرَكْنَا أَدْرَكْنَا أَبَا أَنَا عَلَى هَذِي الْكَلِمَ لَا إِلَى اللَّهِ فَنَحْنُ نَقُولُهَا You know, we remember our parents and our ancestors and our grandparents, they used to say this statement, La ilaha illallah. And that's what we say, to be honest. <coughs> that's what we say. That's what we heard them say, our, our grandparents, our ancestors, Aba'ana, our fathers, they used to say basically, La ilaha illallah. And that's what we say now as well. Okay? Um... One of, the, one of the narrators who was there in front of Hudayfa, his name is Sula, okay? He got Sula, he says, مَا تُقْنِي عَنْهُمْ لَا إِلَّهِنَ اللَّهِ وَهُمْ لَا يَدْرُونَ مَا الصَّلَاةِ وَلَا الصِّيَامِ وَلَا نُسُقُ وَلَا صَدَقَةِ فَأَعْرَضَ عَنْهُ Hudayfa. Okay? He turned to Hudayfa and he said, لَا إِلَّهِنَ اللَّهِ يعني, Will that be sufficient? يعني, is that going to uh, yani, no prayer, no, 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 uh, let me get this right. They don't know how to pray, they don't know how to fast, they don't know the rituals of Hajj or anything like that, they don't even know about charity. Is that going to, Yani, save them? Is that going to be any good to them? Three times he asked Hudayfa bin Yaman this question, all three times Hudayfa bin Yaman ignored him. Each time he asked the question, he'd turn away. Then he'd come around to him and ask him again. I need to know this. I need to understand it. Because this is a big statement that they is saying that no one's going to know anything and you know everything's going to be gone and all they will do is just say La ilaha illallah. And so on the last time on when he said it to him Fakaliya Sila he said O Sila Tunjihim Minanna It will save them from the fire. Okay? It will save them from the fire. That is what the benefit will be of La ilaha illallah. Okay, so this hadith is authentic. Okay, again, let's get a quick snapshot of what's happened here. We're talking at the end of times. 
Prophet said that Islam will wear out just like clothes wear out. And that time, yani, of course, the good believer is gone, knowledge is gone. We know that the Quran will be lifted. And we know that when the Quran is lifted, it will be lifted physically and mentally, meaning that uh, what is memorized. So the physical copies will all disappear. And then all the hafad, all of their memories will also go as well. So all of the ayat will be gone, meaning, understanding, everything. And that's now the end of times. You know that the, 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 the uh, obviously when you study the end of times, you, 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 I'm sure that you've read that kind of stuff and everyone loves those kind of lectures anyway. So you know all that kind of stuff, right? So I don't want to get into that. But the point is, is that there are some people who are literally hanging on to Islam by a thread. They don't know what's going on, like these lost tribes, and they're just saying, la ilaha illallah. And they don't know nothing about anything about the rest of the religion. Absolutely nothing whatsoever. And that la ilaha illallah will actually benefit them and save them from the fire. <laughs> Now, what is the side saying? They're saying, there you go. How can the believing the prayer be kufr if these guys didn't even pray and they're going to be saved from the hellfire? Do you get the point? Yeah. So that's, that's their argument. And the response to this, of course, is that um, this is a, 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 um, a very simple principle. They didn't know. And anything which you don't know, you're not held accountable for. It's like, for example, the people who didn't pray before the prayer was legislated. So you can't hold them accountable for a prayer which is not legislated. And the prayer itself, of course, was legislated just before, or the five <coughs> prayers were legislated, uh, uh, obligatorily speaking, just before the hijrah. And of course, the Islam was going on for 10 years before then. صح? Okay? Eight solid years of good da'wah. And the Prophet ﷺ praying only the odd prayer here and there, okay, meaning that it's not, it wasn't five times prayer a day. Asr and Duha prayer were the ones that were obligatory in terms of timings. The Tahajjud the, the, the was obligatory upon the Prophet ﷺ, night prayer, but the, the Maghribs and the Dhuhrs and whatever, that wasn't there. And these kind of formal prayers were not there. The five prayers came with the Isra al Mi'raj that we talked about a couple of weeks back. And so. That whole period of time, people who didn't pray five times, you're going to say they're in kufr? No. So it's the same principle. It's the same issue like someone who is mentally disabled doesn't understand the prayer. Their prayer doesn't make any sense. People who don't know about the prayer because they've not received the message or because they're new to Islam and didn't know anything or whatever. It's all the same category. Okay? So what we're talking about here, the fourth category, restricted states in which the prayer not being prayed is excused. So this is exceptions to the general rule. Pretty simple point. Would you agree? Yeah? And the final category is, again, nice and easy, that which the evidences are weak, okay? So any evidences which are, <coughs> uh, which are weak. So they, are, they can't be used as an evidence in fiqh. So, um, after Sheikh Uthameen has said that, you can be, see how dismissive he is of the whole idea that there could be an argument against it. And he, <laughs> makes, he makes a statement at the end, which is a political one, frankly. He says, look, he goes, after we've said, all said and done, all said and done, imagine what would happen if we said that the one who leaves a prayer has not committed kufr. He goes, people will be leaving it day and night. He goes that already, I mean, with such an emphasis upon the prayer and such a scare factor of leaving the prayer, I mean, people do not pray for some reason, okay? And, and they think that they're comfortable, but this is one of the most serious crimes. Look at all the evidences, it's super, super clear. Quran makes it super, super clear. You don't pray, he's not your brother in religion. Okay? And of course, if you look at more evidences uh, in this issue, the, the rhetoric is even more clearer. Okay? Or the ruling is even more clearer because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbids 
you to harm those prisoners or whatever, meaning that death or anything like that. However, if they do not pray, then that condition is then taken out. So it's very, very clear that the prayer is something which is obligated at the very highest level and the hadith, etc., etc., etc. So if the people were not to pray and we were to open that door, then there would be like a lot of facade. People would not wash, people would not make wudu, people would not care, people would not make istinja, people would yani, people would just be spiritually gone, mentally gone, physically gone, cleanliness would be gone, all kinds of stuff. So I think that you know he makes this point as well, but it, I think that it's important for us to be able to separate between you know the cold facts and what is a political or a social argument. Sorry, I shouldn't say political, but a social argument. And then the final part that I want to cover before we do some questions on this, because I know this is more about the questions than the text, okay, is this final kind of favorite statement, uh, that either case that it is, whether this person, he rejects the obligation of the prayer, or whether he says I'm too lazy to pray, and he abandons the prayer out of laziness, in either case, they have to be, they have to be, um, they have to be given the opportunity to seek repentance, yes, for three days, and if not, um, then they are killed. Okay, and if not, then they are killed. Right? So let's just try and understand what this means. So the idea is, is that, okay, the ruling has been made clear. You're now creating a fitna. You're no longer Yani Muslim. You've left the religion. The rules and apostasy, of course, in Islam are very, very strict, etc., etc., etc. And you're breaking the confidence of the people, making them believe that it's okay to not pray, which is the absolute yani, key identity, yani, form of the, of the Muslim, etc., etc., etc. But we're going to give you a chance. And for three days, we're going to make it super clear to you that, you know, what you're doing is very, very serious. And then after three days, then, you know, then, you know, um, and we'll come to that right now. Again, as Sheikh Walid mentioned in his class, whatever you understand about how you d- define juhud or is it denial, is it refusal, is it a theological misunderstanding, whatever, as he really well expressed it, if you grab a person, okay, as an authority, and you say to this person, pray, yani what kind of person is going to choose death over not praying? Can you just think about that for a second? Yani the most stupidest person, even if he doesn't like to pray, he's going to say, okay, okay, I'll pray. A khalas, he prays and he saves his life and then the story, isn't it? Yeah, and this has to be one major, yani, mashallah, shaitan, yani. If he says, I'm praying, bro. You know what I'm saying? He goes, no, I don't care. Kill me then, go on. And what? And, and uh, you know, he's like, he's a martyr for that kufr cause, bro. I mean, he is absolutely committed. I ain't making no such that at all. Subhanallah. So we've got to ask ourselves, you know, subhanallah, I'm telling you now, and that's why historically it's not happened. I'm telling you that, and I, I haven't gone through all of the evidences, but I cannot recall the incidents of where this rule was applied. Okay? Because it wouldn't happen. As, as most of the hudud. Okay? As most of the hudud, most of the time, of course sometimes it happens, okay, for crimes like, you know, drugs and stealing and killing and whatever, whatnot, but which are more kind of common crimes. But in principle, the hudud, for, for as shocking as they are, for as yani, horrible as they are, they are meant to, what's the word? Deter. Deter, they're deterrents, yeah? They deter, and if you're that thick, yani, that you want to go full, yani, full retard, yani, full stupid, 
Oh, sorry, I said the wrong word. <laughs> the wrong word. Don't ever say that yani, in front of a mental health psychologist ever. Okay? Full stupid. Okay? El psychiatrist, same thing, whatever. Okay? All, all fake doctors, anyway. So, the. the <laughs> I'm going to roll today. Um, uh, 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 someone, subhanAllah, who's so committed, okay, to not worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He sealed his fate yani, a long time before he was given three days or not. Now, we, are, we need to ask ourselves an academic question, okay? Um, and what is the statement that he said? Tubi in Allah, wa salli, wa illa qatalnaak. Yani, repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, repent to him, pray, otherwise you've had it, okay? So, um, in this issue, there is some difference amongst the scholars with respect to, um, is every single person given this luxury of three days and treatment and a chance, whatever? For example, every apostate, Every apostate is given this opportunity. As for the madhab of the Hanbalis, they, have, they, 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 they divide the apostates into two groups. The first group, okay, they basically said, this is the group where Tawbah is not accepted from them anyway. Okay? They don't even get a chance to make Tawbah. These, like, they've, they've gone way past it. Okay? Okay? He goes, they're not asked for to make tawbah because it doesn't make any, any difference. Because tawbah cannot be accepted from them. That level of apostate. Who are those people? Anyone? So if I'm going to go down, at least someone else can go down with me. <laughs> <laughs> huh? No, no, no. What was the question again? Who, what would the category of people apostate be whose tawbah is not accepted aslan? Saying, denying... No, 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 this is a very serious category, this is the most serious category, listen to what I said, a level, a, a category of apostasy, apostate, where their toba is not even accepted, so that must mean that their level of crime is super high. What no. No, no, no. That's one, okay? Those who continue to do it, okay? So they apostate, then they come back, and then they apostate, and then they come back. They're messing about, basically. That's a public, you know, they're messing up the public, they're messing up the system, they're you're having a laugh, yeah? Okay? In, out, in, out, whatever, and just, you know, breaking uh, every kind of rule. So that's the first. The second is the one who curses Allah or his messenger, okay? This is one who curses Allah or his messenger. And of course, this is where, you know, Ibn Taymiyyah wrote that famous book, the Asar uh, al-Maslul, the unsheathed sword against the one who, Shatim uh, al-Rasul, the one who uh, insults the Prophet. So, so obviously that's a very serious matter, of course, when you uh, uh, attack the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A point that I should make is... And what uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, because for this category of people, or these people, these people are killed even if they make repentance. Okay? And that's the legal position. I think all of them have upon that. Okay? As far as I know. But we'll come to the section in Ridda, of Ridda, you know, in about 33 years or something like that. So, um, if you, um, uh, even if they were to make tawbah, they're still killed. Yani it's so, even if they become Muslim, meaning they they repent before their death, there is a punishment. So because Tawbah is for you. I mean, what, what does Tawbah do for anyone else? Do you know what I mean? What does Tawbah do for the state? 
You know, if you make a crime against the state, what does Toba do for the state? Nothing. Toba is your personal benefit. You've saved yourself from the hellfire. But your death is the punishment. Like a public punishment. So that person still killed. Anyway, so according to the Hanbalis, these people are not given a chance to make Toba. Sheikh Uthameen says this is incorrect. That the correct position is every single person is given the opportunity to make Toba. Okay? That's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, um, that's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts Toba from every single sin. بَلْ فِي خُصُوصَ الْمُسْتَحْزِئِينَ بِاللَّهِ وَآيَاتِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ كَمَا قَالَ تَعَالَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually specifically said in the case of those people who mock the deen and mock Allah and his messenger, Say to, O my slaves, O my slaves who have asrafu, who have transgressed against their own selves, in their kufr and whatever, لا تكنت برحمة الله. Do not despair from the mercy of Allah. إن الله يغفر الذنوب جميعا. Allah indeed forgives all sins. إنه هو الغفور الرحيم. Indeed, He is the most forgiving and the most merciful. So to Zumar, verse fifty-three, and Allah subhanahu wa taala also says, and so on and so forth. But anyway, and Sheikh Hussein makes a point. Whoever insults the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Whoever insults the Prophet ﷺ, that they have to be killed obligatorily. They have to be killed obligatorily, even if they make repentance. So they might eventually be buried as a Muslim. Okay? Wouldn't be buried with the non-Muslims. They'd be buried as a Muslim. But they have to be killed because, and he says, he says, لِأَنَّهُ حَقٌّ آدْمِيٍّ فَلَا بُدْ مِنَ الثَّأْرِ لَهُ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ He basically said, because this is a one of the human rights. What's, what's the, what's the uh, it's not the right phrase it's the um, it's the right of yeah it's like you know it's a civil matter yeah no in the crime of attacking the Prophet ﷺ, there is a civil aspect to it I can't I can't translate this properly it is, it is the right of, of a human, a right of a person that needs to be fulfilled. There's a right of a person that needs to be fulfilled. And that's the Prophet ﷺ. And in his absence, someone needs to yani, deal with it. All right? And that is death for that crime. The tawb, meaning that the act of attacking the Prophet ﷺ, as he, after he's passed away, is a huge kufr and a huge crime which has two aspects. One, a crime against Allah. And two, a crime against the Prophet the human being. Yeah? But he's passed away, so what do we do? So the lawmakers at that time, they will get his uh, haq, and that's the death. And as for the haq of Allah, then Allah accepted by tawbah. If they make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will accept it. Okay? So that's like the uh, understanding of that. The second... Um, uh, 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 the second category, according to the Hanbalis, is those people that you can accept their toba from. Okay, those people that you can accept their toba from. Now, obviously, um, uh, as you heard, our position, class position, is that you can accept toba from any of the apostates, whatever their crime. Okay, as for whether they are punished or not, there's something completely different. Um, but there is some discussion there. Okay. Um, 
about whether they are asked for repentance, whether they are asked for, for repentance. Remember, we talked about what are the two categories of apostates, those that are asked or not asked, okay? And the first one are not asked because they're just not given a chance, and the second one you are asked. As for the asking, okay, of them, they again then say, that then there's some bit more detail. Some of the scholars said that they are actually, some of the Hanbalis said that they are not uh, 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 asked for repentance, but rather they're just killed, okay? Uh, uh, death penalty. And that is because the Prophet ﷺ, uh, said in, in Bukhari, Man Whoever changes his religion, then kill him. And he did not say, then seek his repentance. Or, uh, uh, not seek his repentance, allow him to seek repentance. Okay? Give him the opportunity to seek repentance. But he just said, give him the death penalty. And then there's another narration as well, which is that they are, they are uh, given a chance to seek repentance. Okay? They are given a chance to make repentance. And that is for three days. And where does this whole three days thing come from? Okay, the three days comes from a number of narrations from Sayyidina Umar. Okay, a number of narrations from Sayyidina Umar. For example, uh, in one of them, um, um, and this one has been narrated by Imam Malik. Okay, in the book of rulings, and by Imam Al Bayhaqi, and so on. And a Shafi'i said, uh, "Let me tell you what happened first. Uh, there was a man who apostated and he was killed." He apostated, and he was killed. Omar wasn't in control. Amir al-Mu'minin at the time. He's a ruler. And basically, some guys have just gone vigilante. The companions have gone vigilante. The guys done apostasy, they killed him. They went and came and told Omar, Sayyidina Omar, and he was angry. He goes, وَاسْتَبْتُمُوهُ لَعَلَّهُ يَتُوبُ وَيُرَاجِعَ أَمْرَ اللَّهِ اللَّهُمَ إِنِّي لَمْ أَحْضَرْ وَلَا آمُرْ وَلَمْ أَرْضَ إِذَا بَلَّغَنِي Okay, he basically said, يعني, why didn't you just hook him up for three days? You could have, you know, held him for three days, and you could have given him some food every day. You could have given him food every day, and you could have treated him okay. Treat him nicely, so perhaps he will... Yani, make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will come back to the, the command of Allah. Allah, ya Allah, I was not there. Ya Allah, I did not give permission for this. I did not command it. And ya Allah, now that I'm hearing it, I declare that I am free from it. I'm not happy. Yeah, you, you've seen this statement, yeah? It's a very famous statement. Actually, this happened in this and there's another few other kind of similar incidents. Same kind of statement. In summary, what's happened? Basically, some vigilante justice has been given out. Someone's clearly apostated, and the companions have said, well, that's absolutely clear, and uh, you know, they, they've basically given him death penalty. And of course, we can't have that kind of chaos in a, in a state. We can't have that vigilantism. And so, when they've come and told Sayyidina Umar as part of, you know, he's like, how on earth did you go and do that? Why didn't you yani, hold him for three days where he can be fed, looked after, make sure that he's not mental, okay, got no problems, nothing like that. <laughs> and then also, like, treat him nice, maybe he just needs a bit of love. Maybe he's alone, maybe he's whatever. Just needs to be told, hey man, what's going on, you've got a problem, what's happening, how can we help? You got, surely you can't be against the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this kind of way. And he might make tawbah, come back to the hukum of Allah. In any case, you've done what you've done. Ya Allah, bear witness that I never said this, I never requested it, I never... Um, I, I wasn't there so I couldn't stop it and now that they've told me I reject it as well I'm not happy with it as well um, Shafi'i said 
<laughs> this is a wicked statement. I, when, I, when I teach Rukh Salah, I say, as a number of scholars say, a number of scholars say, but the most prominent of the scholars who say this are the Hanafis. Okay? They said this hadith is weak. This athar is weak. Okay? Um, I'll tell you a little bit of uh, history here. You know that, the, that when it comes to kind of like, you know, madhabs and stuff, the, the, the Hanafis and Shafi'is are like hardcore enemies, right? They've always been dissing each other throughout history, okay? And you've got to, you, obviously you've got mature ones, but otherwise yeah, they're always at each other. And it's like a bit funny at times. Nothing serious, but you know, some good fun. And obviously, whenever they get an opportunity to, and normally they're at the opposites, and everyone else is somewhere around yeah, them, but these two are normally the opposites. So Shafi'i says this and Hanafi said that. So, whenever they get a free kind of shot at another person in one of their opinions, they'll go at it full steam. So for example, the position of Abu Hanifa, uh, Abu, this position by the way, of what happens to the one who uh, apostates by leaving the prayer, this is the position of the Maliki school, the Hanbali school, and the Shafi'i school. The Hanafis are separate. The Hanafis do not have a death penalty for the one who leaves the prayer. The one who does not pray out of laziness, the Hanafi school, they do not have a death penalty. Alright? They do not have a death penalty. They basically say that this person is put in prison and he remains there until he dies. I don't know what's worse to be honest. But it's a life sentence anyway. Okay? It's a life sentence. They're given a life sentence. Good luck to the guy. And that's it. That's the Hanafi position. This here is something which is obviously against their position. It's a threat to their position. Because this has an end point after three days. And if Sayyidina Omar gives that ruling, then they should follow it. Because we have been commanded to follow Sayyidina Omar in fiqh, specifically. The companions in general and Sayyidina Omar specifically. And so they're very worried about that. And so uh, I, remember, I remember, I think in, uh, it is in Nasbur Raya, Imam Zaylai, okay, their great muhaddith, their best muhaddith, one of the best muhaddiths of all time, actually, frankly. He considered this hadith to be munqati', this athar to be munqati', to be broken, broken changed, broken chained. And Imam al-Shafi'i, okay, he has said the following. He goes, as for anyone who claims that the hadith that is written on Umar is not a thabit, and that What's he trying to say here? Hold on. Yeah, and basically what he's trying to say, what he's trying to say is to support this position. Okay, in summary, he's basically, and there were, there were a number of people who basically tried to claim that this is not established from Sayyidina Umar. Okay, it's not established from Sayyidina Umar. That he, that he, uh, uh, that he basically, you know, would give three days before further action, death penalty is given. In summary, I want to say this. Oh, uh, let me just say that actually Sheikh Uthameen does add a point. He goes, by the way, there's a third position out there. He goes, there is a th third position. And this goes back to the decision of the ruler. Okay? Ishtihad al-Hakim. So the decision of the ruler. وَهَذَا لَا يُنَافِ مَا قَالَهُ عُمَرُ وَلَا يُخَالِفُ الْأَدِلَّةِ وَهَذَا الْقَوْلُ هُوَ الصَّحِيحِ 
According to Sheikh Uthameen, this is his correct position and his favorite position. He basically said it is completely up to the ruler whether to decide whether he is to be asked for Tawbah or not, give us some time or not, any new policies or not, any new prison policies or not, etc., etc. Let him make that decision. And that's something that he took from Fath al-Bari. I know that, okay? He definitely took that from Fath al-Bari because I've seen it. So, um, and that's what is the reference there as well. So that's what Sheikh Uthameen's position is. He goes basically that when it comes to the issue of should they be given an opportunity, should they be sought for Tawbah or not, then that's what they ask. Uh, the, 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 the decision is for the uh, uh, ruler. Um, to sum up this whole kind of mas'ala, this whole chapter, I can say to you that regardless of what position you hold, the majority of the scholars, classical, okay, and of course, again, disclaimer for all of the folks that have recorded this yani lesson, Okay, I don't mean you lot, but I mean, yani, mashallah, our friends from yani, MI5 and Prevent and God knows what and blah, 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 um, that we are discussing classical fit positions. We do not hold these positions because we are lovers of democracy and uh, you ain't no Muslim, bruv, whatever. I don't know, what, you ain't no Muslim, bruv, or whatever. And uh, we, are, we are in tune with the wants and the desires of Her Majesty and her chosen parliamentary rules and conditions and all that kind of stuff and you know we are just having an academic discussion of rules that if we don't do it then ISIS will okay and if ISIS do that then who's going to stop them but the 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 uh, moderate majority is that what we call these days yeah moderate majority and we are of course representing that moderate majority um blah blah, blah. The majority of ulama, okay, fuqaha, are upon the position that um, a person who leaves the prayer out of laziness and then is, then is given three days to repent, and if they don't, and that's what we're talking, a person who literally could just get out of it by just praying, and then if they don't, then they really have gone past the pale, and therefore there is capital punishment. That is the position of the majority, okay? And that is the class position with respect to the text as well, and it is the position of uh, Sheikh Uthameen and so on, it's a simple one. So those, that's the text done, that's the chapter done. And what we'll do is that we'll take all the questions on this uh, issue now. What does that come on like that? Yeah. There's another position about um, uh, giving, can you call it lashes? With respect to uh, the leaving of the prayer, not that I know of, no. Uh, in terms of like punishment in order to get to a particular position, uh, uh, possibly. But with respect to the had, the actual prescribed punishment, no. The discussion is either between capital punishment, um, a period of time for them to think about it, or being pris- in prison for life. As in to when, when, I think I had something like when, when uh, the person is in prison, uh, it should be given much. Yeah, well. there is some discussion amongst the Hanafi school about basically what's happening in that period of time. Okay? But it's, it's, it's neither here nor there. It's got nothing to do with the text or anything. This is all about how you understand and trying to get this position person, you know, to see, you know, see sense. Because he's obviously lost his mind. I mean, you'd have to be really, you really lost the plot, you know, that a person is going to, uh, you know, uh, do all that, and you're saying I'm not going to pray. Yeah. Um, is this different for someone apostate? Like, is it just spiritually apostate, missing the prayer, or is it, uh, So the last parts. With respect to an apostate, is general across the board for apostates. What we discussed that there are two types of apostate, etc., etc. Um, 
but specifically for the prayer. But in general, it applies to all apostates, that particular part at the end. But there's a full chapter on apostasy. It is actually quite a detailed chapter, and we will go through that. We will spend proper time on that. And we need to, when we go through it, more than just from a flip point of view, we need to bring in the politics of today as well. Because that is also a, an important point. You know, for example, like people, you know, modern, uh, no, no real scholars, no scholars, but, you know, like thinkers, as they call them, yani, basically speakers, they uh, uh, propose moratoriums on death penalties and hudud punishment, etc., etc., like Tariq Ramadan, like other people, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, obviously, this is rejected from a hadith point of view, but there's a political element which definitely needs to be considered as part of the fiqh in the issue. And do we give these kind of rulings when we know that in virtually every single country, by virtually every single authority, they are being abused? So what do we do? So he took the complete crazy option, which is to say, we'll just stop all the kind of, the, you know, we'll just stop the idea that it can be applied. And obviously we know that wasn't uh, even his intention. His intention was far more than that because after in justifying his statement, he then basically tried to bring up the position, which is fine, by the way. We tried to bring up the khilaf that they, they don't even apply in the first place, that there was no such thing as an apostasy ruling for these kind of crimes, right? Well, that's, that's, you can't have your cake and eat it. You either say that there is no thing as such a, uh, there's no such thing as a death penalty for apostasy, and that can be a fit argument that can be put forward. I, I, I think it's an interesting argument. I think there's some space for it as well, and it can be formulated from the Salaf, and it can be formulated from principles and the evidences. But you support that position. You can't say, though, that you stop the hudud, and then you don't believe that there's, a, there's, there's capital punishment either. You can't be both. It's either one or the other. And so um, when we do come to that chapter, we will need to be bringing in a lot of the current day politics because his concern is a correct one. No country is applying it properly. People are getting away with it if they've got money. People are doing it for, you know, show, etc., etc. You know, so there is a lot more to it than meets the eye. And so the fiqh and the fatawa that we release needs to reflect that the only changing political reality. Yeah, yeah. Questions here? Yeah, Joad. Yeah, so it's great we're having an academic discussion, but we need to relate it to the present day. Yes. Uh, and for me, there seems no logic. I want to present the counter argument yes. of killing a person who doesn't pray. Firstly, um, if someone doesn't pray, then that's his bad luck. Yep. Right, that's his problem, not yours. Yep. Anyone else's. You're talking about, you're talking about at, the, at the personal level, or are you talking about in an Islamic state? Um, at personal level. So we're not talking about the personal level here. All of these discussions, of course, are talking about under an Islamic authority. Okay, let's say it was an Islamic statement. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Secondly, you're denying him an opportunity in the future to repent beyond three days. Thirdly, if he did have mental illness, it could take longer than three days to make that assessment. And fourthly, it makes no sense. If someone is, is after three days, is threatened with death, and says, yeah, yeah, I'll pray, but he doesn't really believe, then surely that's more destabilizing to let him back into the community You've got these people walking around who actually genuinely don't believe we're doing it for show. Yep. So it just makes no sense. Right. So, uh, all four of your points, I mean, I wish that they all got picked up on a thing because repeating that is going to be impossible. Okay. But all four of your points um, uh, were either uh, there, there are measures to that, that, that exist for them. Okay. Such as, for example, number three, that you said if there is a mental illness, then time should be thinking. And there's agreement on that. Okay. But their idea is, is that they would do tests if there is a concern. Yeah, and it's not, so that's allowed for what you just said. But every other point that you mentioned, one, two, and four, are all you mixing up the personal and the, and the, and the state. 
in the state, the reason I say this is very important for the state, the reason for the punishment is nothing to do with the personal. Do you understand? It's all to do with instability and chaos and anarchy and challenging authority and giving the example. So, for example, when you say, you know, you're, you're denying him the right to repent in 10 years' time. We, yes, but we're also making it very, very clear to people don't think that you can get around doing this and setting the example for the rest of people. From a, from a criminal policy point of view, one, two, and I think the other one, will, will, they won't apply. Your last one is a classic example about the people who are walking around and just not doing it. From a state point of view, state doesn't care. State doesn't, Why not? Because the reason for the capital punishment is to protect the community. Not to protect Yani you. At the personal level, it's very important what you said. At the personal level. And therefore, at the personal level, you're absolutely right. Yani us speaking to Muslims in this country, there's no mileage or anything in this kind of text. Because what we're going to do with that kind of threat, whether it's achievable or not achievable, is going to produce a person who's just yani, forced to pray, etc., etc. So what I'm trying to say is that, I don't want to say that the state, when it has these rules, it doesn't care for the personal. Of course it does, but the, what's the word? The main, the main goal is not the person. The main goal is to not create this kind of joke kind of scenario where people um, think that in Islam, it's allowed to play around with the religion. That's the, that's the idea. The same, the same as when we try to explain to non-Muslim and say, why when we have the death penalty, it's the same as the death penalty for treason and the, the, the you know, same ideas about political instability, ideas, revolutionary kind of thoughts, blah, 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 instability. Now, obviously, in a free liberal kind of society, that idea sounds anathema. It sounds ridiculous, okay? But if you were to, for example, look at Syria now, okay? If you were to look at Syria now and what it's got to, that's super worst case scenario, but that is also the other side of what happens when you allow people to get out of control and do what they want. Here, we're supporting it because the oppressed were the believers. But imagine it was the other way around. Imagine that Syria was run by Sunni Muslims proper, everything fair, and there were just people who just wanted to overthrow. Yes? So we know from a security policy... A country has to be able to come down on people who threaten the political stability and the order. And so therefore, at that moment in time, the community interests over Trump, we'll use that word ever again, but they trump the personal interests of that person. And Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Yeah. Uh, So from that point then, so we'll pick up the point that from an Islamic State perspective, um, it's better, they don't really care about the, the personal level. So I don't want to say, I, see, see, I, I, I say they don't want to care, but what I want to say is that there are priorities and that's not the number one priority. Well, the implication was from a state perspective, a person, if he, even if his heart isn't believed, as long as he looks as if he's praying, that's okay, that's better than not praying. Yes? No, it's that as long as other people do not believe that you can do this kind of action, that's what's most important. But if you take this logical conclusion, if you put a gun to someone and say, oh, you pray, you will kill you, the person's going to pray, yeah? Basically, yes. Well, so then what is the status of that prayer? And is it, are you not almost encouraging someone to be a monarchic basically? Yes, if this was our call, if this was our MO of life. Yani, when we give, or when you give, or even the craziest people you've ever seen in your entire life, or any Muslim you've ever met, in their MO, in their da'wah, 
okay? When it comes to how they give da'wah, you never saw that being used for the da'wah. It's important that when we study the legal side, we don't make it out that this is the way that we give da'wah, or we don't make it out that even in a Muslim country, that this is the thing which is, you know, on all of the... Uh, like, like even, even, for example, Saudi Arabia. All right, let's just take Saudi Arabia. Everyone hits on Saudi Arabia, uh, criticizing them. Worst human rights record, most capital punishment records, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who's ever been killed. I don't think anyone, but someone can correct me, maybe online, whatever, who's been killed for not praying. Okay? And you don't see that. Uh, and they are the most strictest. They are a humbly nation with humbly fiqh yani, as their constitution. And the chief mufti bin Baz, alayhi rahmatullah, he was hardcore on this issue. Okay, hardcore and much, much more stronger language. Does not pray. He is to be divorced immediately, and he is not allowed. To, you're not allowed to be married to him, and he is to be killed, and his body is to be thrown into the ravines, and he's not allowed to be buried amongst the Muslims, etc., etc. No flapping around. I don't know who was killed for that in the history. I don't know. Someone can correct me. But even if I'm wrong, at least they'll prove me wrong with something I can count my hands, which shows you that not only is it a deterrent, but it's not even a deterrent at the public level. Yani, when you go around Saudi, for example, for all of its backwardness and X, Y, and Z, and whatever anyone can say, okay, for it being a police state and a hardcore state, you don't see signs of the gallows and threats. Huh? You see hadith which say, say subhanAllah, say alhamdulillah, say what? You know what I'm trying to say? So the presence of the legal deterrent does not indicate that it is the first card which is pulled out when the Tao starts, or even a tenth card, or even a twentieth. Yep. Even, even in an Islamic state that would be running to some very, very kind of strict level or something like that. The fact that we keep talking about the three days also does not indicate that there's not a period of time of contact in between or before or some help, etc. as well. We're talking at the very sharp end of the law. And again, I bring you back to what Sheikh Walid said. Okay? This idea of death, of, of the death penalty, is not something which you will find in the hadith or in the books, or whatever, it is an assumed position taken from other hadith of the apostate. It is not linked to the not praying per se. It's linked to the state of kufr or apostasy at the end of it. And so that's very important, that there is a unnatural focus on the killing or on the death penalty, but it's not actually part of the hadith in principle, as you've seen, and it's not been done historically. And so therefore, I think it's, Important that we don't give it more emphasis than it should be. And I also think that it's not also seen as that that's the way that the da'wah is done with this hanging on the, on the, on the, you know, on the horizon. This kind of th- thing, this big, you know, sky or whatever it's called. Yeah, that one. Just want to clarify, we are talking about person who is in the obligation of salah. Uh, the one no, we're not talking about that person really because no one denies that the one who denies the obligation of the prayer yani, you know that's a separate crime what we are talking about is a consequence obviously the issue that we spent most of today talking about is the one who leaves the prayer laziness. laziness yes and you're talking about those three times a person who doesn't pray the first prayer because of some kind they might have some kind of reason then fine you won't be able to have a reason to pray Dhuhr Asr in Maghrib okay like I mean a reason when there is no reason. If you have a legal reason, something happened, emergency, then of course these are exceptions, as we covered last week. Uh, go on, start on that.
clarifications that does the consensus of the scholars become a point of aqidah because according to that to that person becomes a kafir due to the rejecting the obligation and where there is a difference in opinion like with the and if one misses or denies it what about that yeah, so, so the question of whether a point of consensus on an issue becomes a point of aqidah, then the answer is a, 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 a nuanced one. If there is a point of consensus and there's no difference of opinion on an issue which has text at its heart as an evidence, okay, then... To go against it would be not, not permissible. If the statement itself is determining kufr, determining kufr, or the statement is about kufr, then to not establish kufr when it's obligatory to establish kufr is itself kufr. <laughs> For example, for example, if there was a consensus of scholars based upon Quran, Sunnah, and evidences, and so on and so forth, that said that the one who believes, the one who believes that the woman gets, I can't think of an example. Yani, let's just say that the Prophet is the final messenger. Okay, let's just say the Prophet is the final messenger. He is. Yeah, yeah. What did I say? Oh, oh, yeah. We say yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So the Prophet is the final messenger. If someone was to say that he is not the final messenger, and what's what's the status of this? What's the status of a person who said he isn't? The status is that he's kafir. If a person did not say that he is kafir, he himself becomes kafir. Yes. Okay. As long as he knows, I mean, because he's denying something which is agreed upon, or denying something which is yani obligatory, etc., etc. I don't think I clarified that at all, to be honest. She's probably more confused than it was in the first place, because she confused me. Right? Yeah. Let me find the next question. Yeah. Yes. Which is the famous position of Ibn Taymiyyah, and he claims it to be the position of the companions and so on. So it's a very one, interesting book. So the one, the one that does that has to be killed, but he's going to be paying first, and he's like, it has to be killed. Yes, yeah. the death penalty has to be uh, applied to him regardless. Uh, yeah. So, I think we're in the controversy now, and uh, there's been one more. Oh, was that question? Yes, one more. The translation what you gave of uh, Surah Nisa. Yes. Was it. Um, other than or less than? Less than is the correct understanding of the verse. Okay? From a legal point of view. Linguistically speaking, the translation of the verse is could be other than that. Okay? But when you want to understand its legal implication, it's less than that. It's less than that. Okay? Otherwise, you get into aqidah kind of issues. You sure there's no other online questions? Are you blanking me? There is, but it's. What? It's like on a personal. No, no, no personal stuff. Just the only thing. Any more relevant questions? No, not relevant. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Everybody, this is like the last time we come talk about this aqidah and death, whatever, whatnot. If we can escape from this, boys, yeah? 
If we make it to next week, if I can, <laughs> you're in it together, bro. You were there. You were there. You asked questions. You did not deny it. You did not yani arrest, do sentence arrest, or whatever it is. I don't know what you're meant to do. And um, but this is the last time we're going to be talking kufr and murtad and apostasy, whatever. We got through the big one. We got through the the circum- female circumcision. Goodness gracious, how we did that? I got no idea, but we did it right. And I don't know what else we got through. Did we get anything else through? through anything else controversial? Huh? That was the main one. That was the main one, صح? Yeah. No, there's one or two more. No, no, that was. What else was there? <laughs> you get a phone call in nighttime. Take it down. <laughs> <laughs> take it down, bro. Down, down, down. Take, take it down. Take it down. Take it down. Take it down. So I think that was the one. And if we get through this one, then I think we're okay. I think all the way to the end, inshallah, plain sailing. Bi'idnillah. Okay, zakmullah khair. Subhanakallah. Bihamdik shadu Allah. Ilayna. Astaghfirullah. Allahumma wa atubu alaykum. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.